Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. It's good to see all you guys this morning. Hope you're doing well. Um, Listen, over the past month or so, we have uh, taken a few Sundays to unpack certain aspects of what it means to have a godly family. In fact, uh, some of you may remember that on Mother's Day, we talked about uh, having a culture of honor in our homes. On Father's Day, we talked about the five marks of manhood. And last week, we talked about the importance of raising strong kids. So for this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to turn our attention to uh, seven decisions that I believe that you and I need to make if we are going to have uh, the spiritual healthy families that God intends for us to have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Father, I don't believe it's an accident that a single person is here. God, I believe that you desire to speak to us exactly where we're at. So Father, whatever season, whatever stage we're in, God, in life, God, we are still doing family. God, if that is uh, with our own immediate family or a broader family or even as a church family, uh, bottom line, God, you've called us to do family and you've called us to do it well. And so, Lord, we just simply thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your anointing and thank you for divine revelation today in Jesus name we pray amen amen Amen. now listen biblically I think we all understand that uh, God didn't create Adam and say that's good enough I'm done in fact we know that the Bible says that after he created Adam he went on to create Eve and he gave the two of them the ability to procreate now my point in that is simply this is in the beginning God not only created this whole idea of marriage that we have but he also created family amen And listen, because he uh, created Adam and Eve and therefore with this uh, idea of family built in them, that means that literally that every one of us, when we were born in our own natural human makeup, we are hardwired by God uh, with a core need for healthy family relationships. You see, it's in these relationships, if it is a husband and a wife, or it's the parents with their kids, or if it's grandparents with the grandkids, God has designed for every one of those single uh, relationships to provide for each one of us uh, a few things. We'll throw a list up here. It's basically meant to give us love, meant to give us affection, a sense of belonging, comfort, safety, and an atmosphere of growth. Now, on that last Part that I want to just maybe acknowledge why does he make family such an atmosphere of growth? It's because it's from the family unit that you and I are called by God to be developed, to be matured into who God's called us to be. Amen. And, and if I could just say it this way, we've all lived long enough to know uh, and to watch people who've come out of healthy families to see them healthy members of society, healthy believers. And we've also seen people come out of unhealthy homes that are unhealthy members of society as well. Am I making sense? Not saying that God can't change something because he does, uh, but, but there's a natural order that God wants us to walk in. So listen, kind of with this in mind, I think just for starters, if you and I are going to walk in those blessings, if we're going to walk in those benefits, uh, you know, of what it really means to live in a godly and healthy family, then it's got to start uh, with a cornerstone decision. In other words, that, that not just us as individuals need to make a cornerstone decision, but us as family units, we need to make a cornerstone decision. And here's where I believe this cornerstone decision comes out of. Joshua 24. Many of you guys can quote this. It says, If it is unacceptable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the God which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But as for me and my house, that's what Joshua is saying here, but as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will do what? We will serve the Lord. All right, so in attempt to maybe grab the magnitude of what Joshua is saying here. Um, If you and I actually uh, back up all the way to the beginning of Joshua chapter 23, we would discover that the nation of Israel had enjoyed uh, a long period of peace after years of fighting against uh, nation after nation as they conquered the promised land. And so it was at this point when you look at Joshua 23, moving to Joshua 24, uh, it's this time of peace. Uh, Joshua recognizes that his life is coming to an end. He's 110 years old and he's the leader 
leader of this nation. And before he passed, he says, you know what? I got to do one thing. And here's what he does. He, according to that scripture, he calls all the people, all the people of Israel from greatest to least, he calls them together. And what he does is he reminds them of everything that God had done for them. Literally starts from the time of Abraham and he works his way all the way to the moment where they are standing on the land that God swore to Abraham to, to give to Abraham's descendants. In other words, what he did was he took them from the beginning to where they were at. He reminded them of all of God's blessings and all of God's victories uh, that they had received along the way. Then he did this, as I believe any good leader should. He brought every single person there. We're talking about millions of people. We literally brought all of those people to a cornerstone or key decision where they had to choose. In other words, that what he was saying was, is, listen, what God started in your life, I want to make sure it gets finished. But if it's going to be complete, if it's going to be finished, you need to decide something now. Now, what was that decision he was urging them to make? We read it a while ago. It was this, to choose for yourselves this day in whom you will serve. I love this because in essence, what Joshua is saying, he is saying, look, don't make a decision for Moses. Don't make a decision for me, but you need to make a decision for yourselves. Will God be your God or will you choose to follow and worship another? Like he was coming to this moment of decision. Now, here's what's awesome. Before those people had time to answer, once again, as a good leader should, he gave them the example to follow when he declared how his family would choose to uh, basically spend the rest of their lives, and that was doing what? He declared, but as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will do what? We will serve the Lord. Like, what an amazing moment to think, once again, the, 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 the courage and the boldness that it takes, basically in front of all those people that he deliberately put this, uh, for lack of better words, a proverbial stake in the ground, and said, basically, I'm going to serve the Lord, and my family's going to serve the Lord. And, and what I love is the people responded by declaring back at him, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Like, what an incredible moment, right? You, you see, I, I believe it was at the heart of Joshua's challenge that he understood something that a lot of us miss today. And it is simply this, that Joshua understood as their families went, so would the nation go. Right, like, like, In other words, he understood that if they served God, God's blessings, just as he had done all those years in the past, that God's blessings would continue to flow. But if they stopped serving God, then it would basically damn up heaven and they would begin to live under a curse. So if I could kind of bring it today, it's simply this, that we need to remember that, yes, as our families go, as individual units, as our family goes, so the church goes. And as the church goes, the region goes. Amen? If I can even say it this way, that as our families across this nation go, so does the church go, so does the nation go. Amen? Amen. So listen, while I know that we all know that that uh, truth still rings true, right? Right? I, what, I, what I don't want to do is I don't, wanna, I don't want us to get the cart before the horse today. In other words, I don't want us to continue to run in that direction. I simply bring all of that up because I want us to grab a hold of something. And that's this, is that if you and I, in other words, we have the same decision that those Israelites made, that if you and I want to see God's blessings of all those things we listed a while ago flow in our lives, then it's going to require you and I to do more than just go down to Hobby Lobby, right? If we even have a Hobby Lobby here, to go to Hobby Lobby and, and purchase a piece of home decor or go somewhere and get a, get a coffee mug that has Joshua 24:15 engraved on it. Like, in other words, that, that's, that's the cup that I grab when I do my morning devotions. It's going to take more than that, guys, right? It's going to take more than us just being able to quote the last part of that scripture or even be praying that last part of that scripture. It's going to require more. And, and here's what it's going to require. It's going to require you and I to first settle in our hearts as individuals and then collectively as a family that we are making that cornerstone decision that we, as a dad, as a mom, as a son, as a daughter, as grandma, grandpa, that the only God we're going to serve is the living God. Right? We're not going to serve money. We're not going to serve a government. We're not going to serve our fleshly desires. We're going to serve God and God alone. Amen? Amen. So listen, I think when it comes to this declaration that we're going to serve God and God only, it just kind of keeps us from kind of drifting through life, doing things our own way. 
Like, I'm amazed that the reality is that so often in life we get distracted by shiny things, right? And, and we begin to drift off from what we know to be true. But I think today when we're declaring before the Lord that we're going to serve Him, that we're making the conscious decision that we're going to do it His way. Amen? That, in other words, before we move in this direction, before we move in that direction, before we say this word or sort of say that word, before we put off that attitude or this attitude, that we're going to stop and ask ourselves, man, does this serve the Lord? Like, does it honor him? Does it worship him? Does it give him glory? Is that worth Jesus dying for? Now, I know that seems like, oh, heavy. The reality is, it's, are we going to miss in that area? A thousand times, yes. We're humans, right? We're fallen people that are saved by grace, and we're all in the sanctification process. But the reality is, is, is when we fall, thank God that there's grace and mercy. But, but if we fall, we need to realize that our heading is still set, and we're still running in a direction. And what's the direction? We're going to serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. So listen, with all that in mind, what I want to do is I want to turn uh, our attention to uh, seven decisions. You could even, if you like, uh, see these as seven declarations uh, that we should be making as a family, okay? In other words, seven decisions that we need to make, okay? So let me maybe paint a picture for you. Obviously, what we just talked about uh, was a core decision that we're going to serve God, a cornerstone decision. In other words, that's a stake in the ground. And what I'm trying to say, the next seven things I'm going to give you, there are things that must flow from that decision. That if that decision isn't firmly placed, none of these other decisions will work. But if that's right, then, all, then it will give opportunity for all these other things to work right. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. All right, so the first decision I believe we need to make is this, is we need to declare this in our homes, that in this home, that one voice matters the most. That one voice matters the most. Now, I think we can all agree that we live in a culture where there are a, a plethora of voices speaking to us. Right? These voices come through our TV screen, they come through our phone, they come through the radio, they come through our friends, they come through uh, even our own thoughts as we're just walking throughout our day. Now, some of these voices are obviously good and some of them are not, but either way, here's what I want us to see, is that every single one of these voices are vying for our attention. And they're not just vying for our attention, but they're also trying to motivate us, persuade us, stir our emotions, and ultimately lead us in a direction. That direction is either towards God or away from God. Is that true? Yes, yes it is. So listen, please, listen to what I'm about to say here. Please, get this. I think sometimes as individuals who are striving to honor God, striving to live for God, I think sometimes it's really easy for us to acknowledge the battle that we're fighting in our head, but, but in the middle of being so consumed with the fight that we're having, we forget that our spouse and our children and our grandparents are fighting the same battle in their head. In other words, they're hearing the same amount of voices, and they too are trying to contend with those voices to figure out what's what. Is that true? So once again, listen, it doesn't matter just, you know, if, if you've been married a year, doesn't silencing those voices. If you've been married 60 years, it doesn't silence those voices. If your kid's three years old, it doesn't silence those voices. Or if he's 53, it doesn't silence those voices. We're all in this together, right? And so there needs to be a recognition that we're all in a fight here. Amen? And sometimes what comes out of here maybe isn't what's really in here. Amen? So listen, I just think this collectively, since we understand that we're all in this warfare, that as once again, as a dad and a mom and a son and a daughter and grandparents, that we all need to grow in this key word that every believer should really be acquainted with. It's called discernment, right? That we need to be able to discern or determine which voice is talking to us. We need to know, up oh, was that God? Up oh, now that's the enemy. Oh, that's just me. Like, we need to be able to discern that. And I think so many Christians, we don't do a good job at that. Amen? <laughs> we need to remember what Jesus said, though. Here's a promise from Jesus. He said, after he had gathered his own flock, are we part of his flock? Yes, we are. It says, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him. How do they follow him? Because they know his voice. If we want to follow Jesus in our families, we need to know his voice. Amen? But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this. It's also connected to the promise. It says, they won't follow a stranger. That's the devil. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. In other words, they know that that voice isn't their master's voice, and we're not going to give heed to it. We're not going to listen to it. We're not going to run direction. We're going to run in the opposite direction. Yes? So, so what Jesus is talking about here, he's simply just talking about discernment to differentiate between those voices. All right. 
So watch this. Everybody perking up here. This is why I brought all this up. Because if we're going to be a family that's going to listen and obey voices, it's important we're listening to the right ones. Right? And so we got to understand that God's voice will always, I'm saying the word always intentionally, will always lead us into unity, peace, and love. Right? But the enemy's voice will always lead us to division, strife, and fear. Which clearly means this, right? Whichever voice that we are choosing to listen to collectively as a family will cause us to lean in one of those directions. Right? If, if we listen to God, it will strengthen our relationships. If we listen to the devil, it will weaken our relationships. Right? We can even say this. Our flesh falls in this category. Amen? All right, so, so today, man, I think we should be asking ourselves, how do we know which voice we are listening to? Like, how do we know which voice we are listening to? Me, listening to? to me, that's a really easy decision. It's this. Is that all we have to do is sit back and look at our relationship. Look at our marriage. Look at our relationship with our kids. Our relationship with our grandkids, right? All we have to do is take a step back and look and ask ourselves, how much unity, peace, and love is in this relationship? Or how much division, strife, and fear do we really have? See, the first category shows uh, God's voice in our family. The second voice, or the second category, shows the voice of the enemy in our family. So if I could put this another way, here's how I would say it. Is that the measure of unity, peace, and love in our relationships is determined by our level of submission to the voice of God. Great place to say amen. Watch this. While the measure of division, strife, and fear in our relationships is determined by our level of submission to the voice of the enemy. So whose voice are you submitting to today? Amen? Amen. So I just think this, and I've said this many times up here, and, I, and Jennifer and I try to remind ourselves of this often because the reality is, is the things we're talking about today, we're still growing in them as well. Life is life. We're all in the same process, right? There's no perfect person in any of this. But, but what we try to remind ourselves is when we're in this spot, if there uh, comes a moment where there's division, where there's strife, or where there's fear, we have to step back and we have to realize that the Holy Spirit inside of me would never disagree with the Holy Spirit inside of her. Right? And the reason is, is because He is the Spirit of unity. So if we're both listening to Him, there's going to be unity. If one of us are not listening to Him, there will be a disunity. So I, I think it's simply this, that in those moments where there's a lack of agreement, once again, if that's in a relationship with husband and wife or with kids, I think, I think we have to take a step back for a moment to go, you know what, one of us, one of us is wrong here. Let me say this. Part of the problem right there is, is most of us, about 99.9% of the time, think it's the other person. Come on, preacher. Right? Like, like we just do. But, but I think that we need to take a step back with a heart of humility and go, you know what, I may be wrong. Or we both might be wrong. Right? So humility gives room for us to actually go, you know what, I might be missing it. And, and I think the other thing is at that point, and i got to be honest with you, when emotions are flying, this is really hard. Prayer. You ever notice that? Prayer. So, but what happens is you've got to have humility, and then you've got to be able to go pray. What does prayer do? I can tell you from, from uh, 19 years of marriage, here's what prayer does. It allows me to go get away to let the emotion kind of calm down, and then to actually go, Lord, here's what I'm thinking Here's the thoughts I have. Talk to me. Where, is this right or is this wrong? And there's been many, 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 many times over the years I will see something from her perspective or I'll see it from God's perspective and I'll know what I need to change. And so when I go back, I go back not now trying to die on that hill like I was before, but now I go back with a humble heart, not defeated heart, but a humble heart and go, you know what, we need to get this right because unity is more important. Amen? Amen. I'm going to move on here. I just think this. Once again, we need to ask ourselves, other than God's voice, which voices are we listening to the most? In our relationships, which voice 
is the ruling authority, the ruling voice in our lives. Number two, the second decision we need to make in our homes is this, is we need to celebrate one another's uniqueness. We need to celebrate one another's uniqueness. So listen, on, on this point, a couple of years ago, uh, my family got invited to go to Brian Leo Carl's house because they were celebrating Brian's birthday. And, and there was this moment after we ate that all the adults were kind of around the table. So if you can kind of get the picture, Brian is sitting there, Leah's sitting there, their four kids are there, their two daughter-in-laws are there, and their one son-in-law is sitting there. And there's a couple of, handful of us other people, like Steve, I think, might have been there. And obviously, Jen and I are sitting at the table. But there was this moment uh, where, where things kind of shifted. Now, watch this. The original plan was for us to eat dinner, and then there would come to a point where everybody at the table would take a moment to say what they love and what they admire about Brian. In other words, we were going to celebrate him on his birthday. Uh, but Brian being Brian, right, I guess he knew it was going there. I don't know. Instead of being the one who would receive, he actually decided to beat everyone to the punch. And he decided to go around the table one by one and tell everyone at the table what he loved and admired about them instead. Now, as he did this, he highlighted each person's strengths and their giftings. He talked about what made everyone so special and so valuable in the family. In short, what he did was is he celebrated everyone that was there. Now, over the past few days, as I've been thinking about that, uh, that moment, it was like an hour long where, where he just kind of went around the table. I realized something, that, that as Brian celebrated the other eight adults in his immediate family, he never highlighted the same quality in two people. In other words, he didn't say something to one person and repeat the same thing to the next. In short, to our point here, he celebrated each person's uniqueness. Now, kind of to that, I don't know what it's like in your family, but as far as my family is concerned, uh, me and that lady over there couldn't be any more different. Like, man, we are, we are polar opposites from one another. And, and, you know, and obviously we've had five children. And you take those five kids, and, man, they all uh, resemble in some way. They all have some similar personality traits. But at the end of the day, man, not, not a single one of them are exactly like the other one. I'm sure it's that way in your home, too. But, but when, when I've thought about my family and a lot of your families that I know, it just kind of reminds me of what King David wrote in, in uh, Psalms. We'll fix the thing. It's supposed to be 139. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. It says this. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Watch this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Get that. I am. In other words, I'm not some carbon copy of somebody else i am fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that fully well you see one of the reasons that you and i are so fearfully and wonderfully made is because god in his infinite wisdom uh basically took a mixture of these things of our of our course our looks our personality, our temperament, our strengths, our weaknesses, our gifts, our talents and abilities. So he basically, you can even throw weaknesses in there, that, that he took basically a combination of all those things and basically he created every single one of us in a really unique way. Now, when you look at your family, it's that unique combination that kind of just makes us who we are, right? Now, over the years, I have seen uh, certain families celebrate all of those differences really well. And then I've seen other families uh, basically look at all those differences and, and they are basically, they, they don't celebrate it. They, they kind of do the opposite. Like they dog it, right? They're always pointing it out. It's a really bad thing. It's, there's always negative comments made towards it. And, and, I, and I just think as, as obviously you could see that, that those families who celebrate it, man, there's a great amount of health and appreciation of those families, and those families that are always just negative about it, man, it just like erodes the, the foundation of the family. Like there's, a, there's actually, I'll just say what it is, there's oppression that's on those people. And I just think this, if we can just remember today as families that when we don't intentionally take the time to celebrate one another's uniqueness, we promote a culture of comparison in our family. Somebody say Comparison. Listen, on that note, like how often have we sat back? If you have more than one child, it's hard to do this when you're just one kid. But, but, but if there's more than one kid, how often have we sat back and watched them kind of compare themselves to one another? 
Like how often have we watched uh, kids even sit back and compare mom against dad and dad against mom, right? And, and even this, how often as we as parents and grandparents looked at either our children or our grandkids and we compare them to one another? Here's what I want us to see today, that comparison uh, tends to produce some things that aren't good. For example, comparison tends to foster jealousy, envy, and strife. That comparison tends to erode honor, appreciation, and unity. That comparison tends to encourage I, uh, an I'm better than you attitude, right, in our hearts. And comparison tends to do this. It feeds insecurities, inferiorities, and a me-first mentality. And even this, that comparison tends to blind us from seeing what's so special about others. Now, now let me pause here for a second. I think it's easy for us to nod our heads and to see that in our children. But sometimes, we got to be honest, we find ourselves comparing ourselves to everybody else in the house too. And when we do that, we, we either do two things. We either lift ourselves up in a place that we shouldn't, or we bring ourselves down to a place that we don't belong. Right? God's not in either one of those. Amen? So, so I just think this, when we actually sit back and celebrate uh, each other's uniqueness, even our own uniqueness, what it does is it suffocates negative and damaging effects of comparison. It just suffocates it right out of the family culture. Right? And it causes appreciation and love, once again, and unity and peace. I want to keep repeating that. It causes those things to grow. Amen? So, so I just want to maybe challenge you today, instead of us falling into the comparison trap, how about let's pause for a minute and begin to think and begin to ask God how he's made each person in our family special. Like, like, what do we love and appreciate about one another? What are the pieces of each person that we need to celebrate and, and even champion in their own uniqueness? Because once again, I think when we stop and we celebrate one another, it's one of the ways we serve God. Amen. So third decision or third declaration we need to make is this, is that in this home, we will lift up rather than tear down. Listen, I believe this decision is rooted in this fact, that if we honestly believe the last point, that God makes every one of us unique, then if God made everyone unique, then that means that he sees them as precious, as valuable, they're a treasure to him. And I just think, man, if, if they're a treasure to God, then why wouldn't they be to us? Right? And if we see them that way, why wouldn't we want to lift them up instead of tearing them down? Now, the Apostle Paul tells us like this. He says, let no corrupting, no worthless, no useless talk or words come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then he says this powerful statement, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I think it means this, that when you and I take the time, right, in our family, to say, I know some of us really struggle with this, but when we say how much we appreciate one another, when we support each other's hopes and dreams, when we speak positive words of affirmation, when we listen to people when things aren't going well, right? When we share the godly wisdom that's imparted in us, when we encourage one another, we speak words of love and kindness. Here, you getting the point here. When we express our gratefulness to one another, when we take the time to do those things rather than speaking worthless, useless words that hurt and criticize and damage and discourage and tear down, we actually do what Jesus said. We build one another up. Now, please don't miss this, guys. When, when we actually build one another up, you can read between the lines, that means we really please God. Like, when we, when we turn to our husband, if you're a lady in here, and you begin to speak words of affirmation, and you begin to build him up, it pleases the Lord. When your husband and you turn to your children and you begin to speak life over them, it pleases the Lord. But according to Paul, when we do the opposite of that, we speak those worthless words, we are actually grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, so with that said, let, let, me, let me bring a balancing statement here, okay? And I don't have time. These are all just like snapshots, okay? But, but, but I think if you've, if you've been alive long enough, you know every conversation isn't butterflies and cotton candy. Amen? So, so like, let me give you an example of that. Just this morning as I was praying, the thought that came to my mind. A, a, a few years ago, you know, once again, I have, I have five kids, and you can do some math, and, and basically I think you got about 25% chance to figure out which one it was. But they'll remain nameless at this moment, okay? Anyways, a few years ago, I went outside, and, I, and something, like, caught my eye on the side of the car. What is that? And, and I began to follow 
this line down the side of the car. One of my kids decided to practice their artistic ability with a rock in hand and went down the side of our vehicle, right? Now, how many of you guys know at that moment when I immediately, by the way, knew which one it was, <laughs> that it wasn't a butterflies and cotton candy conversation? I didn't go, oh, buddy, I so celebrate your artistic ability. I just speak words of affirmation. I thank you for the dream that you have to be an, art, you know, an artist one day. And I believe God's going to increase the anointing the way you did that beautiful picture there. You'll do it here, and God will take it to the nations. You know, I didn't say that, right? So, so, all right. Here's actually what happened. Jen saw it, and she didn't tell me. And I saw it weeks later, so the moment was kind of gone. So I still had the conversation, but, but, but here's what I want to see. Most of the time when we have those moments, man, it is just like, bleh. maybe it's just me. All right. So, but, but here's the thing is, is there's obviously times where we have to look at our spouse, we have to look at our kids, and there's just truth needs to be spoken. Okay, and there's a right way to do that, and there's a wrong way to do that. And I quite haven't figured out the right way yet, but I do know biblically my tone should be right, my attitude should be right, because there should be this thing, I'm speaking the truth in love. Right? And there's this other part that I'm actually not just speaking truth, but I'm also speaking in a due season, meaning at the right time. Amen? And so I just think this, it's like when we don't do those things when we just explode in the moment, or it's just all flesh in the moment, uh, it, it, just, it just opens up the door for things like offense, guilt, shame, right, condemnation, to enter into our family culture. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want any of that in our family culture. I grew up with enough of that. I don't want it in my family. Amen? So, so once again, I just want to ask you a question. We'll move to the next point. Is when we speak to our family, do we, do we intentionally lift them up, or are we tearing them down? The fourth decision or fourth declaration I believe we need to make is in this home, we seek to serve. We seek to serve. Gang, at its core, the act of serving is at the heart of Jesus. You can't get away from it, right? For the Son of Man came to be served, came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Pardon the, pardon the, the juggle there. John 13 says this. Listen to these verses. Since before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It says, it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Simon, son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Watch this next part. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. Then it says in verse 4, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into his basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. I've been a Christian now for almost 26 years, and I've read that portion of scriptures only God knows how many times, or verses. I've, I've read it a lot. And, and, and every time I read it, it just blows my mind to think that here's the king of the universe stooping down to his knees, and he's doing the job that's normally reserved to the lowest servant in the house. Like, blows my mind that here's the king of the universe who, who wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty and do the tough stuff. Now, I, I, want, I want to point out something real quick. There's loads of lessons in this that we don't have time for. But, but if you notice right before it says that Jesus took a knee there, it says this, that he knew the Father had given him authority. He knew basically where he had come from, and he knew where he was going. What am I saying? Is that he knew his identity. See, when you know your identity, you know your self-worth, serving is not beneath you. Right? The people who refuse to serve... Others, it's because they think they're better than everybody and they need to be served. It's a pride problem, right? But it goes on to say this in verse 12. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again. He sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? What a loaded question. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and, and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is a messenger more important than the one who sends the message. And then verse 17 is key. Now that you know these things. So guys, now that we know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Once again, if we want the blessings of God to flow in our family, then we need to serve like Jesus serves. Amen? Now, listen, in my house, once again, I don't know about yours, but I've heard, if I've heard, that's not my plate, that's not my clothes, that's not my mess, that's not my trash. You know, if, if I've heard those statements once, I've heard them a thousand times, okay? Now, now, the reality is this, is I don't think there's a single person in this room that probably enjoys cleaning up each other's, uh, other people's mess. In other words, like, we don't mind cleaning up the kitchen, we don't mind doing it, but, but when something's just been intentionally, and somebody's been uh, careless in their activities and just made a mess, uh, we kind of want that to be a lesson to them, right? But, but, but the reality is, I just think, man, we need to stop and go, man, and remember that serving is the language of love in the kingdom. I want to say that again, that serving is the language of love in the kingdom. It's how Jesus demonstrated his love towards his disciples, and it's also how we are called to demonstrate our love towards our families. And so I think in the meantime, even though there's that part of us that gets super frustrated with that stuff, especially if you're doing it continually, there's that piece of us that needs to stop and go, Jesus, I need a heart of a servant. Like, give me a heart of servanthood, right? And then, and then God, help me to love the people in my family more than I hate the inconvenience that comes along with serving, right? Because how many of you guys know that the serving opportunities that come our way typically don't come at the right time? It's not when we like, oh, I don't have anything to do today. No, it's normally when we're running in a thousand different directions and, and it's just got to be done. And then we get ticked off. Maybe that's just me. All right, here we go. So question, so what are some ways we can serve the members of our family? Because once again, I believe we serve one another. It's the way we serve Jesus. Fifth decision, y'all are doing good. Hang in there with me. Is that we understand that everyone is a work in progress. Like, please hear this. Biblically, listen, we know that Jesus was actually born into the context of a family right? That he too had to submit and listen to his parents as he, uh, you know, grew through childhood and grew through his adolescent years. Now, biblically, we know when we read the Gospels, uh, we, we don't get a whole lot of verses about that, you know, basically the first really 30 years of Jesus' life. We see a snapshot when he was a, uh, when he was a baby, when he was about two years old, then at 12, then it fast forwards 18 to his baptism when he's 30 years old. But, but there's this nugget of a moment that's in in uh, Luke chapter 2 verse 52 that speaks to this point it says this it says that Jesus grew somebody say he grew Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man here's the simple point I want to make is that if Jesus the incarnation God in the flesh had to go through a process of growth and development then surely we got to go through the same thing as well like he was perfect Right? So I just think this. Sometimes I think we make a mistake in our families that we want everyone to acknowledge that we're growing. Like, give me grace, give me mercy, and we forget that everybody else is growing too. And so we want mercy, but, but we do this. So instead, of, instead of getting that, we get frustrated and we're impatient with people. When would you get this? Like, I love what Britt Hancock says. Like, literally, he says, what? go brush your dadgum teeth. Like, how many times have we told our children that? Maybe not with the word dadgum. But, but listen, how many times? Go brush your teeth. Clean your room. Do this. Do that. How many times has Jen basically told me to do things? And how many times I've asked her to do things? <laughs> I have a story in my head that I will not tell. All right, here we go. So I think this, we have a choice is we can sit back and get frustrated and patient with everybody or we can go, you know what, we're all growing. And, and, and because we're all growing, we're going to create a culture of grace in our home. Right? And the culture of grace doesn't, you know, excuse ignorance, right, and, and just willful sin, right? But, but it does go, you know what, there's still grace and mercy and we're going to keep redirecting you, right? And, and instead of being frustrated with, once again, you know, the family dynamics, the sons and daughters, right? Husband and wife, grandparents. Instead of being frustrated, we're going to go, you know what, we're, we're all in process. Because I think it's in those moments we realize, once again, there's not a perfect parent. Kids hear that? 
We are, we are, we're trying to build the plane as we go. You didn't come with a manual, okay? And, and, and even this, on the day that you said, I do, nobody gave you a manual and said, here's how you do it, right? The bottom line, like, like take Jennifer and I, I know I'm calling us out quite a bit today. I'm just trying to be authentic and real with you, but, but it's like, she comes from a divorce home. I come from a divorce home. Now, how many of you guys know you don't escape that without baggage, right? So when, when we said, I do, as much as I love that woman, there's times I just don't know how to do it right, and vice versa, and we're trying to figure it out. Once again, and we got all these kids that need different things from us, we're trying to figure it out, right? And I know you're in the same spot. And so, once again, in that spot, we just go, you know what? From a culture grace, we realize that nobody's perfect, and in the meantime, love is patient, and we're going to hang on the promise that God says that the good work he began in us, he's going to be faithful to complete it. Amen? So the question I want to ask you here is, how patient are you with your family members? And is there a culture of grace in your home? Sixth decision. Here we go. In this home, we will share our spiritual lives. We, we declare, we make the decision, we will share our spiritual lives. In other words, what I mean by that is this, is that um, our walk with God isn't secret or private. Okay, I'll explain what I mean here. Acts 10 says this. It says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius says the centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Watch verse 2. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. Now, so it sets a precedence there, but you fast-forward some verses. It says this. It says that Peter showed up, and it says that that same family that were devout and God-fearing, it says that they were all in the presence of God together. So what's my point? It's not that... that I, I run over here and I get in the presence of God and Jen runs over there, gets presence of God and Michaela goes over there, gets presence of God. Caden goes over there, gets, no, no, no. There, that's that's going to be times like that and there should be times like that. But it means that at some point there should be this overlapping. Right? And what it means is, is that there's times that as a family we pray together, we worship together, we read the Bible together. Now, I'll shoot straight with you. I'm a pastor and there's times I really, really struggle with that. Not the me going it's the overlapping part. Now, it's easy when one of you guys texts and says, you know, so-and-so's went in the hospital, pray. Uh, man, there's a culture in our family. We stop what we're doing. And, and in that moment, uh, as a whole family, we pray about whatever's going on, right? So we do that. There's plenty of times we're going, we're talking about God. And, but, but there's not a whole lot of times that, that we go, okay, uh, you know, we try. We're going to do this today together. <laughs> like during the fast, you know, we, we read... Uh, the book of John, not only together, but with our daughter and one of their friends. Like, that's the way it should be, that we're, we're coming together. Here's what God said to me. Here's what he said to you. And what that does is it brings uh, edification and builds us up. Am I making sense, y'all? So let me say this thing right here, a little extra thought here, and then we'll skip to the last one and we'll be done. You know, a lot of you guys know that I youth pastored a long time, and then I, and then I uh, was a college and career guy for a while. Um, there's something I saw over the years, and I've even seen it as a senior pastor, and I probably see it more now because I'm interacting with adults more, where, where I think that parents are making a huge mistake. And, and I want to point it out here because I think it needs to be pointed out. And simply this, is that I've heard parents say, uh, you know, I don't want to make basically the decision for my kid to serve Jesus. Now, that's right in context. But, but in other words, they have to make their own choice. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. But here's what they say. Because I don't want to make that, I'm just going to let them uh, go do whatever they want and they can find God or like accept God or reject God on their own journey. And is that, is that making sense? So in other words, I'm going to show up at church, but I'm not going to wake them up to come to church. We're going to go to this prayer meeting, but I'm not going to ask them to go. I'm, I'm going to, in essence, I'm going to hide my walk from God from my kid because I want my kid to make his own decision. Typically, people that do that is because they grew up around legalism. And, and instead of finding balance, they just run the complete opposite way and run from their responsibilities. Guys, listen, the Bible says this. The Bible tells us that we, that we are to tell it to the next generation. Now, tell to the next generation must start first with my family, not all these other random people, right? And secondly, we read it last week out of Deuteronomy. The Bible tells us clearly to talk about God on our way. 
To talk about God, we wake up. Talk about when we go to sleep. In other words, there's this always this natural rhythm about God in our family, right? And, and so kind of in the sense this, that the kid really can't escape it, right? Now, will there come an age of accountability? Yes. There's got to be a point where it's no longer Abraham and Isaac's God, but it comes Jacob's God too. We all get that. But, but if, we, if we remove our responsibility and our influence and our role from it, guess what? I'm going to tell you who will not step back. It's the devil. Okay, the devil will gladly take your spot and lead your children, so guess what? It's our job to contend and stand in the gap until they get on their own feet in this. Amen? Amen. Listen, I, I said it's probably one of my favorite moments ever as a dad, and, and it came in a really unique time. I, I had, I don't know, probably the time about six months, I would preach, the anointing would come, I'd pray for people and prophesy, words of knowledge would come, God would show up, but in my own personal walk with God, it was like, Where'd you go? And for six months, I had not felt an ounce of the presence of God, right? And I had repented. I've done this. I've done, you know, I, now I know what was going on. You know, I didn't have sin. Like basically, my faith, my faith was just getting stretched, not so I didn't just depend on emotions, right? But, but what happened one day, I was, I was uh, separating laundry, as my mama taught me. And, uh, and so as I was separating it, uh, I went like this, literally. I was like, because I had worship music playing, like a thing on YouTube. I went, he's here. Like, it caught me by surprise. Like, there's the presence of God. Once again, when you go six months, it's like, a, a, you know, a glass of cold water, right? And I was like, he's here. And I look over, and my, and my daughter, who was probably about eight years old at the time, was on her knees with her face in the carpet and her hands out. I didn't say, hey, let's go worship. Hey, let's do this. She'd just been around us so much worshiping, right? And she would actually come down. I'd be walking, praying in the spirit. And, and she would come down and she'd imitate me. It was funny as a little kid. And so, but as she grow, grew up, she began to recognize the presence of God. And she knew that he was in the house, right? Like, that's what it's about. Amen? Amen. You let your, you, you let your kids get some of those. And you don't have to be worried about what decision they're going to make. They'll make the decision. They counter Jesus They'll follow him. Amen? Amen. Last point, last decision, and, and this may seem really unique, but it's super important. To me, it ties the knot on everything we've been talking about. It's simply this, is that we need, in our homes, we need to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We need to remember that. The reason I say that is because of this, is because I think sometimes uh, we get so caught up in church, we forget what Jesus did for us. Right? And if we can keep a posture that is constantly praying and constantly thanking God for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It keeps our hearts tender and soft to the Lord, and it keeps us, once again, in a posture of gratefulness to the Lord. Amen? And if we can do that as a family, then it'll make room for him to move and do what he wants. Am I making sense to y'all today? Amen. Can you please stand to your feet? So let me close basically with two thoughts. First one is this, is... As a pastor, I think sometimes what happens is, is, is when you know you've been discussing a certain topic for a minute, it's real easy to get impatient with that, get bored with that, and want to move on to a different, different subject, okay? But the funny part is, as I keep going and praying and reading, it's like God won't let me move from that. It's like, I want to move off a of family and get into something else. He's like, nope, talk about this. Nope, talk about this. Nope, talk about this. Even the other day, and this may bum you out, I don't know, but, but it was like the Lord dropped like a roadmap, if you will, for the next four weeks with the subject of family. And here I am trying to get off of it, right? So, so what does that mean? It simply means this, guys. It means that clearly God is trying to highlight something to us as a church family, Right? And it highlights the fact that maybe we're somewhere, but God's saying, you know what? I got something better for you. And so I need to teach you how I want to do family so you can get there. And I will say this, for me and Jen and our kids, there's room to grow. And I'm sure there's room to grow for you as well. Like, once again, none of us are perfect. God's trying to call us up higher. So let's just have a yes in our heart. Let's actually evaluate the things we're talking about today and to go, man, how am I doing in those things? With my spouse, with my kids, with my grandkids, how are we doing? And then to go, okay, Lord, I need you to change me in this and help me do those things. Once again, it's easy to get up and just say these things. It's a whole lot 
harder to actually go do these things. Amen. So we want the Lord to actually take our what we're hearing and actually apply it into our everyday lives where this becomes part of our walk with Him. Amen. And it becomes part of the culture of our family. Because once again, I think God's only strengthened us as individuals, but He's wanting to strengthen us as a church as well. Amen. Because why? Once again, to give you vision, how does God release His kingdom? How does He release His character and the image of who He is into regions? It's by healthy families who make up healthy churches and so forth. Amen? All right. So if we can, uh, if you can, just close your eyes really quick. So at the top of this, um, we said that there has to be this cornerstone decision that needs to be made. And that cornerstone decision is simply this, is that Jesus, I will serve you all the days of my life. That God, I am, I am done doing it my way, just drifting, doing my own thing, but I want to do it your way. So I don't know where you're at in that spectrum today. I don't know if you've never got right with God. I don't know if you're backslidden from God. I don't know if you're just a carnal Christian that, that does your own thing. Or if you're absolutely the authentic, genuine, real deal that loves God and is trying your best just to honor Him. Like, I don't know where you stand, but I believe you do today. And so I just want to simply ask if you're here and you need to make, once again, in the presence of God, a declaration that says, God, I'm yours. God, I'll serve you all the days of my life. If that's you, can you please just lift your hand? If you're like, man, I need to do this. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Let's do this. If everybody can, just lift your hands. I just want to pray for us today. Jesus, we're asking today, God, just that you would come. God, and you would wash us clean today. Father, we say today, God, wherever we're at on that spectrum, God, we are putting the stake in the ground and we're saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God, that our family's yours, that we are yours. You bought us with your blood. You're the one that forgave us. You're the one that set us free. God, you are the one that connected us to the people we're connected to. And so, Lord, as we make this stance today, as we make this declaration today, we are asking, God, for your supernatural, empowering grace to come upon us in deeper measures, in deeper ways, to help us be the husband we need to be, to help us be the wife we need to be, help us be the parents we need to be, and help us be the grandparents we need to be. Father, we need you. That's all. We need you. We don't want to run and do our life without you because, Lord, we recognize today and we're thankful, God, that when we serve you, God, your blessings flow and we are people that need your blessings. We need your anointing. We need your unity. We need your joy and your peace in our lives. Lord, we don't need strife. We don't need division. We don't need fear. Father, in fact, we just pray if we have been the the catalyst for any of that in our family, God, we repent before you and God, help us to repent to our family later in Jesus name God we ask today God there's anybody in here that needs restoration in their families God that you would begin to restore restore husband and wife restore parents to their kids and likewise God even grandparents you are a God of restoration God where there needs to be the rebuilding of the walls God we ask that you would do it Jesus you are Lord help us to not be people that declare you as Lord but literally live like you're not So, Lord, help us today. Help us today. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.